Welcome to the College Church Sabbath School Podcast, where each week Pastor Anar Ram and Elder Roger Prather will be diving into the weekly lesson from the Seventh-day Adventist Church. The congregation at the College Church has made it their motto to love, grow, and serve. We really want to learn to love more, grow more, and serve more. It is our hope that through these conversations, we can learn to better serve our congregation, our local community, and the world. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope you are blessed with today's conversation. All right. Welcome to the College Church Sabbath School lesson. We are on lesson number four for the week of April 15 to 21, Fear God and Give Glory to Him. My name is Pastor Ian Aram, and with me is... Dan Thomas. And... Roger Prather. So we're going to get going quickly here. So, Roger, would you have opening prayer for us? Certainly. Father in heaven, as always, we thank you for the privilege and the honor and the, the ability to use this technology to reach people. I pray, Lord, that you will guide our hearts and our minds, our conversation, and our study, and that we will be a blessing to those who listen or stumble across this. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm glad you didn't say, or stumble as a result of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That might be the <laughs> problem. We, we, that we that don't want that. Don't want to be, a, Paul said, don't be a scandalon. S- yes, a, that's right. A, a scandal or a stumbling <laughs> block. So the lesson, fear God and give glory to him. Uh, that's a profound sentence. And, and we're to give glory to God. We're in a world where everybody wants glory, whether you're on a certain social media site and you want to have a million followers, or uh, you just want to have the accolades of the society because you have, a, you know, own a gigantic building, you have a yacht, you've got a private jet, you know, all these things, you just want that accolade, you just want that. This book called the Bible tells us that we are to live not for our own glory, but for the glory of God, which is a really countercultural message for today. And and this is probably one of the reasons why we are called to be core peculiar people. We're not supposed to be peculiar in the sense that we just look like we were we got dressed a hundred years ago, and and uh, but peculiar because we're living for something or someone different. And and this is important to understand. Fearing God, some people fear being, uh, you know, canceled, being uh, rejected, and we are called to fear God. That's the agenda we're following. Um, any thoughts about this, my two friends here? Roger, I'm going to let you go first, but uh, yeah, let me um, let me bring up a historical character that I admire very much. His name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, and he lived a peculiar life uh, <laughs> to the extent that uh, he came under um, suspicion by the Nazi government during World War II. And with a look of peace and contentment on his face, he preached a sermon, served communion, and then went to the gallows a couple days before the Allies liberated his concentration camp. Um, That is, I think, what we're looking for, the ability to, in the face of all sorts of cultural and social resistance, to at peace. 
I'm glad you mentioned that because I haven't read it yet, but I have a book in my library called Theologians Under Hitler. So Hitler actually had theologians who yes. were who were taking the Word of God, shifting it to morph it into something that would be compatible with Nazism. The Reich, the Reich Church, it was called yeah, the Reich yeah. Church. Absolutely. And, and it's just like, you know, are we there now? Not in the sense that we're doing what, what they did in the 1940s and 30s, but have we taken the gospel, watered it down? Have we shifted it? And uh, what's the word? I would use it in a sermon, gerrymandered it, and into something that it really wasn't meant to be. And that's a whole other discussion. But it's powerful to think about or it's significant to really analyze this. What are we pushing? We're not here to build institutions. We're not here to even build churches. We're here to make disciples. So, so, so going along with that, um, you know, of course, Revelation, since we're, we are in, Rev, you know, this is the book, we're, the letter we're covering, um, Revelation, one of the warnings is that anyone who takes this book, this letter, takes the words thereof and try to twist it, um, may God add to them the curses yeah. written in therein. Yeah. And, and and may their their so it's kind of a warning and, and may their their place in, in the kingdom of God be removed if they yeah. take things away from this. So that um you know, fear God, respect God and give glory to him. And and the, the completing part of that, of course, because this is all judgment language. My professor would say this is a judgment judgment theme. And and of course it, it echoes after that for the hour of his and this is Revelation uh fourteen um, seven, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. So that an overarching theme here is that of worship. It's that of um, giving that holy respect to God. And that also means not um, bending his words to suit my theology, mm-hmm. but rather, as and Roger said earlier in our one of our earlier discussions, bending my life to suit God's word. So that's yeah. my that's my pull. I like that, and and I want to I want to quote from Ecclesiastes twelve, and of course, remember who wrote Ecclesiastes? It was it was Solomon, and he indulges is in indulges. That's not a word. He indulges in anything he wanted to indulge in. And he finds the famous part of the verse here is meaningless, meaningless, everything's meaningless. But he comes to the end, and this is really important in in Ecclesiastes 12. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind for God will bring every deed into judgment including every hidden thing whether it is good or evil interesting way to end a book of a man who had just just given himself over to every passion he had and he says wait a second here what's the whole what's the big picture and as i look at our culture today my friends we are sort of in this point. I mean, just look at what we can do today in our Western culture. It's absurd. And and it's the options are just mind-boggling that are before us. And, and this is where I see 
culture going more and more into narcissism and self-absorption, maybe, hopefully, at a certain point, somebody says, stop the bus, we got to get off, this is insanity. What is it all about? Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the duty of all mankind. Yeah. I, I think uh, an important point to make, you guys are making me think. And oh, no, to, that's, we don't want to do that, right? I'm trying to put my <laughs> thoughts together here, but um, I think an important point to make is maybe, maybe we have historically in the Seventh-day Adventist Church and in Protestantism more broadly confused or misused revelation to the extent that we have presented it as a message primarily for people outside the church. Hmm. But that's not what it says. Mm, it's a message no. for people inside the church. Correct. And so when it says fear God and keep his commandments, he's not talking. He's not giving us a message. I mean, it is a message that the world needs to hear. Don't get me wrong. But he's not giving this message for us to deliver. It's not a letter for us to deliver to the world. It's a letter to the church. And you guys, what you guys are talking about, you know, like the temptations of the culture and all these sorts of things, like there are all these temptations for us to adapt. And I would put it, the two extremes are, I'll go back to my, from last episode, my two, uh, my two uh, illustrations, right? You have the fundamentalist extreme on one end and you have the progressive extreme on the other end. And one says the way to do this is to just completely shut ourselves off from the world and lock everything, you know, everything was, you know, the Ten Commandments were put in the Ark of the Covenant and the, the lid is sealed and there's nothing we can do about it. And then the opposite extreme is everything in the culture can be adapted to the gospel in order to reach the people of the culture. And that's a false, that's false too. And I think what Revelation is telling us is, look, you've been given all of this information and your experience, like, again, I go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and the centrality of the cross and the resurrection. Mm -hmm. And Paul says, look, our, our own Christian experience proves the validity of these doctrines, right? When you live your life consistently with this belief, like, things change. Mm -hmm. And so what Revelation is saying, what John is saying to us is, look, he's not saying for us to go out there and tell some guy that has no framework for interpreting what we're saying, hey, you know, God's going to judge you and this, listen, man, he's going to come in the sky and there's going to be millions of angels and like <laughs> Zeus, he's going to shoot lightning bolts out of his eyes. You know what I mean? Because that's what it sounds like to people. Yeah, that's not what he's saying. He's saying to the church, look, you're going to be tempted to do all these crazy things, but look at what Christ and the apostles did. They just went out there and they just lived their lives consistently with scripture. So that's, I, that's an excellent segue because there is the lesson points us to the Sermon on the Mount mm -hmm. and, and the context there, of course, Jesus in Galilee, who is, he's Jewish, who is listening to him are people who have the Jewish faith. Yep, Jewish and and he's, it's a powerful, I, I, I've said this before a thousand times, I'll keep saying it, if we as Christians could practice this one sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, it would revolutionize the world. It would totally change because it would change us. Think about it. you begin with the Beatitudes, who is blessed, and and you are the salt of the earth. But I want to draw to our attention where the lesson takes us is in, in Matthew six, thirty-three. Um, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So what we're seeing here 
is Jesus is telling a group of people who are there by the Sea of Galilee, you know what? Religion's got complications. He knew it. Probably people knew it. And he says, you know what? Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And these things, these other things will fall into place. And as I see it here, my friends, as today we are all challenged, are we really going to do this? Or are we going to take some sort of amalgamation and take narcissism, marry with Christianity, throw a little nationalism, and we come up with this nice little porridge that tastes good, makes us feel good? Or are we going to say, okay, this is it. Let me follow the red letters. Let's go. Let's go by the grace of God. And that's what I, th- what I think this lesson is calling us to, to, as the subtitle says, living a God-centered life. You know, Bonhoeffer, my goodness, the man did it. He did it. But he didn't have to. He didn't have to. Um, and he had a chance to come to America. He was and, in America. Yeah. Was. And he could just watch, read the news clippings and say, oh, it's terrible. He went back. Yeah, Columbia University um, got him like some kind of like visiting professorship grant or something. In New York, Columbia University. Columbia University in New York. Yeah. And um, what he ended up doing is he the Christianity in North America was something that he had never experienced before. It's an awesome story, man. If, for those who don't know it, you just read as much as you can by and about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Mm-hmm. Um but what he does is he wants to experience all these like um, all these American permutations of Protestantism because he's from like this stuffy upper class Lutheran mm. uh, family in Germany, um, and he goes to all the best universities and 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 he he wears fob watches and his vest and all that sort of thing, and um, he ends up going to a black. I, I don't maybe Baptist or non denominational church in Harlem. Now remember, this is the 1930s, 1940s. Mm-hmm. Okay, so even in even in New York City, progressive New York City, you still have segregation, you still have racism, and here's this lily white German Lutheran with a PhD in theology, professor at, at Columbia University, um, and he starts worshiping with this black church in Harlem, and he ends up traveling all over the country with friends that he met there and he's collecting all these gospel albums the music gets to him Mm. and he sees the faith of these people these people Mm -hmm. that are just like despite all the nonsense that these people have to play and he goes to south he goes to the south he goes to black churches in alabama and louisiana and mississippi and he's just amazed that the gospel gives these people hope in the midst of what by all intents and purposes is a very desperate situation and then he stops and he thinks look at what they're doing to my country back in Europe. And he gets on an airplane and I'm, I'm going to cry thinking about it. Like this guy is such a hero. He's, he's his character, but he, that's what he did. All of the, all of the, the, the intelligentsia, those institutions that you talk about said, Oh, look, you're, you're a resource to these institutions. And they held out a silver platter, Mm. right? And they made him feel special. It's Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You know, he's this luminary from Europe. We have to save him. And that's what they were, I mean, to their credit, they were trying to do that as much as possible. And it wasn't restricted to Mm -hmm. ideology or religion. They brought Marxists and they brought, uh, you know, social scientists and physicians and all these, you know, all these really smart people from from Nazi-occupied areas that got him out. And Dietrich went back and he said, no, I got to do this. Mm -hmm. And he started doing... um, 
He started doing these radio broadcasts where he was preaching sermons and, uh, you know, he was sort of like these, like, backhanded, backhanded sermons towards what the Nazis were doing. And then he ended up uh, starting an underground Mm -hmm. seminary in the mountains and training pastors to go under the guise of like being merchants and things like that to go in and start these underground churches in, in Germany. Um, I, again, I don't mean to go off. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Um, I just pointed at my watch. We've got a lot of ground to cover, my friends. But that, I think that's a great example of what this lesson sort of talking about the culture. It's so you're going to fear somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yep. And so what it's saying is, again, this is a letter to the church and it's, you're going to fear either the people with the guns to your head, the people that can influence your income and your housing and all these things, or you're going to fear the, to put Jesus terms, you're going to fear the one who can cast your body and your soul into hell. That's it. That's it. Thank you. You know, I, I like that you went there because, um, you know, this is a message for the church. This is a message for God's people. This letter was for God's people. And so the two verses that follow the one I had read initially about, uh, you know, we was talking about fearing God. And then, so the, we end up with verse nine, and another angel followed saying, and of course the screaming full voice, Babylon has fallen, has fallen the great city um, that, you know, led us drink the, the wine of the wrath of, of, of evil. And then we get into verse nine, and then a third angel followed saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and his image. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm going into all of that to say that um, key uh, foundational to this letter is worship. Foundational to this letter is, n- and and yes, it's evangelistic. But I, I like where Roger took this. It's for a message for the community. Mm-hmm. And when I read Revelation, when I teach it and I study it, how often do we point at ourselves? Right. So, the interesting fact. Um, somebody studied this. There are no solos sung in Revelation. Everything's a choir, and that's part of the picture. That's, that's part of the picture. You know, and it's yeah. all. It all ends up being self-worship. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, use the Bon Bonhoeffer would have stayed in America. Right. Who would who was who would have been his God at that point? It would have been him. He was saving yeah. himself. Yeah. And that's what we worship. We we go along with whatever. It's. It's all self-interest. And and the idea was to save a remnant because at the time in the 30s, Germany and and occupied area regions were burning. They were burning down. Go ahead, Pastor. And so this, this, that, what you just said about the remnant and, and Daniel just sort of triggered something in my mind. You know, are we saying that, we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but (laughs) are the remnant declared remnant and we say oh i want to be part of the remnant or people who are living in the last days just the remnant and they're called the remnant i don't know if this makes any sense but uh some of we could say well we're the remnant so we got to do this but maybe the remnant is people who just say i'm gonna follow jesus period i'm gonna follow him bonhoeffer in a way does that and and uh takes us in a different way because there's a lot of ground we got to cover, my friends. A lot of ground. Well, I, I, and and so oh I'm no sorry. Go no ahead, go you do your thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I was, so to your verse seventeen of uh, Revelation twelve, because we know twelve, and Roger and I talked about this in the in the, in the lesson. But um, 
and the dragon was enraged with the woman and went to make war against the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And, and, and some translations say the remnant of her seed so that those who are still doing this, keeping God's commandments, um, and the testimony of Jesus, mm. that's the remnant. Mm -hmm. These characteristics define a remnant, not a number, not a denomination, right. but the characteristics. And dare I say, the commandments of God, is that limited to the commandments written on the two tablets of stone? And I would say it's more than that. It's the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, do we really actually understand that, and it's practicing the, the Good Samaritan, this is it. It's easy for us to have this bubble around ourselves, oh, don't touch me, I'm keeping the Ten Commandments. I'm so far, I've, I haven't broken any in the last three hours. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't, don't push my buttons, don't, don't because so far, so good, I'm ready for translation. And, well, look, look to play it safe, I'm going to go live in the woods of Maine where nobody can step on my toe and, and make me lose my Christianity. So what's happening here? It's just a form of self-preservation. And at its core, it's, it's just about me. And I don't, I don't think the remnant, um, I don't think the remnant, so think of Noah. Noah was a remnant. Mm -hmm. Noah didn't go, hey, one day God's going to flood the earth. <laughs> And so I'm going to prepare myself. No, Noah just did his thing. He was just obedient. He was obedient. And he was called. The remnant is called. You can't just say like, oh, yeah, dude, we're the remnant. You know, look, Paul in chapters 1 through 3 of Romans says there are people who keep the commandments without knowing the law. They're obedient mm -hmm. to God's law without knowing the law. Well, guess what? That's going to be the case at the end of time. There's going to be a lot of people who are going to go, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Mm -hmm. And they're gonna, and God's gonna say, "You're, you know, they're gonna be like, we're, we're, we're sons of Abraham." And He's gonna go, "No, you are the sons of your father, the devil." And there's mm -hmm. gonna be a lot mm -hmm. of folks mm -hmm. that we used to sit with in the church pews, <laughs> who are God have mercy. And, I, and you know what? Yeah. Hey, by God's grace, I pray that I'm not one of them. Right. Right. But that's just that's that's the Scripture's message. Right yeah. again. This is a letter to the church. It's not a. It's not. We're holy, and we've been given this precious jewel to take out into society and call every. We are supposed to call people to repentance, but this is a letter to the church. Who are you fearing? Are you doing this out of self interestedness, like you said, yeah. which is what yeah. you pointed out, or are you doing this because you're 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 Christo Christocentric? Amen. We should be Christocentric. Yep. 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 So that leads us into the book of Romans powerful uh, passage here, Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, therefore I urge your brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy, yes, in view of God's mercy, not in view of the coming judgment or the time we're living, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not confirm, so just, just so he... He, he wants to make it clear to the readers. So don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Powerful way of, of seeing 
how we're to live life. Paul, of course, had a major repentance in his life on the road to Damascus. Absolutely. An experience. An experience. An experience. <laughs> Turn him around, and he says, wait a second here. I've been doing this all wrong. And there's something else going on here. And it's powerful that he says, okay, he, he had a run-in with the mercy of God. He had a collision with it. And it turned his world upside down and even our world upside down. And notice the, 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 the order of causation there. It's not I give myself as a sacrifice in order to warrant God's mercy. Right. right, right God right, gives right. his mercy one way or the other. Yes. Yep. We don't deserve it. And a lot of times we don't even ask for it. Yeah. So, yep. Amen. Amen. So, listen, my friends, you I wanted, want. Oh, I was going to say there was this one particular point that you wanted to talk about, and it's going to be fun. It's going to be controversial, and I like stuff like that. He's getting there. He's getting there. Okay. No, <laughs> I love it. Go ahead. So, and uh, there's a lesson Revelations Overcomers. And, and it's interesting that we often see the last days in escalation, this contrast, which is true, but there'll be this last remnant of people who essentially will have their act together to the point that they're good to go. They're ready for the translation. They're ready. And the sins are all gone. I don't mean to be cavalier about this. I don't, and it's coming across wrong, but it's it puts a whole lot of, angst, pressure, worry, uh, concern. How in the world am I going to do that? I mean, I barely got to, through today, and that was with 45 different sins, you know? And, and you know what I'm saying? And, and how do you do that? I'm making that number up. It was really 932. But anyway, <laughs> but it's interesting how we can easily say, well, the last days we're going to be living, and there's an expression, there's a quote from about this with, with an intercessor. Uh, Christ's object lessons talks about until the character of Christ is perfectly reproduced in his, his character in them, he won't come. This puts a lot of pressure on us, and I know these quotes are taken out of context, which, of course, text without context is pretext. Pretext is a lie. So it takes on a whole new meaning for, for what was the intent. But it's interesting in Revelation 14, here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. I think that's a very important marriage there that John wrote. Keeping the commandments of God, they have the faith of Jesus. So when we look at Revelation in its purest forms, it is about Jesus Christ. This isn't about people who have been biting their fingernails saying, oh, I got rid of sin number one, sin number two, sin number three. I'm getting there, Jesus, I'm getting there. And then even if we perceive we get there, does that mean by default that we don't need a Savior? Which is a, which is a whole other, this is this opens up, it's absurd. So there was in, 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 in the Adventist church, Many people have subscribed to this understanding of the, of the last generation theology. The people in the last days will have their act together. And it was Andre, a guy named Andreasen who was really pushing this in the 1950s. We published a book on it. 
and it's just kind of absurd some of the the uh, teachings here and and uh, you know part of the uh, Andreasen thought that there were three phases in in the in the sanctification process part of the, the the third phase was and I'm quoting here he is now eliminating and destroying sin in his saints on earth this is part of the cleansing of the true sanctuary and this was published by review and herald in the 1950s it's it's mind-boggling but you think about that you're reading this and you're like wait a minute this is me if i don't get my act together it falls apart and it just is is just uh uh, mind-boggling when you read this book by George Knight and uh, uh, the end time events and the last generation, the explosive 1950s, and it's just wait a second. I said this is really important because this DNA is still in still in Adventism. Uh, as as I hear you talk about this, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, the 50s where we're you know Korean War. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. I'm wondering what aspects of, I mean, we just finished up World War II, mm-hmm. we're entrenched in Korea, mm-hmm. yeah. and at some point we'll be in Vietnam, not much long after that. And I'm wondering, um, so often we, we blend our theology around a sense of urgency that's not based per se on reality. Mm. i.e. in 1844 we're talking about being caught up going to heaven but we're still fighting the civil war Mm. (laughs) we're just about you know we're we're getting in there so you know it's it's the 1950s everything is good we finished the second world war we're in, in in korea and here we are, we're talking about this, and I'm like, okay, one side of my mind says, okay, what's wrong with this kind of thinking? And I see Roger's smile. <laughs> and then on the other side, you know, wow, where are we going? Um, do I gotta do all of this to be saved? And, you know, and I hear powerfully coming off of what you were sharing earlier. This is more about my relationship. Do I love people? Am I willing to? I'm still flawed. I still got problems here, but I'm striving to be better. Mm -hmm. But I know that I don't have the ability to make myself better. So incrementally, bit by bit, I'm pushing away self Mm-hmm. And I'm embracing Christ and my yeah. brother and sister. Yeah. And and um, in my own eyes, I'm not perfect, and I think I'm perfect. But it's really how God sees me, and it's His blood that makes me perfect, not me. Yeah, you hit the nail <laughs> on the head, Daniel. I think I'm perfect, and that yeah. that's when we. What did John say? He who thinks he's without sin, sin. <laughs> makes God out to be a liar. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. this is this is the mm. yeah the the gospel must penetrate every yes. aspect of us. Yes. And and uh, I think this is where 
we can we can say, well, what does it mean to overcome? Mm. What does it mean? And and what is it? What what are we overcoming? Yes. What are we overcoming? You know, what does it mean? We all know that. And I'm going to preach a sermon this one point. But what is sin? And you know, we would say Har Martina means to miss the mark. Yes. Well, what's the mark? <laughs> what is the mark? Oh, the Ten Commandments. Is that the mark? I think the mark is, if I had to come up with a definition right now. Yes. Trust in. Trust in God. Period. Yes. If we got it from day number one, just Adam, trust the gardener. The, you know, trust God. Yeah. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. You know, I think I think of the mark and and, and Roger. I know he's ready. He's all over this. Um, archers, when when archers were trained, they would train them. They would have them um, steady themselves, work on the mechanics, mm-hmm. and um, they'd blindfold them because they got to hit the mark. Yeah. And it wasn't how good you were. It was the fundamentals. Oh, yeah. Your breathing, yeah. steady aim, your pulling back, and that's where the target is, and I don't need to see it anymore. In my mind's eye, I'm visualizing it mechanically, and I hit that mark um, so that it becomes the operating system of shooting the arrow. What is the operating system of living this life? It's not my works. It's not trying to, you know, weasel my way in through whatever machination I can come up with. It's not pointing out how wrong you are and how right I am. Right. And what what did he say? (laughs) We walk by faith, not by Not by sight. And so they blindfold them. I need to blindfold myself, stop looking at myself, Mm. and walk by faith. Tough. Because I want to see. <laughs> you want to see. You want to. Yep. You want to see. Yeah. So, it it's so. How do we relate this to us as brothers and sisters in Christ? And and I'm going to go to Hebrews. Can I can I just uh, please uh, can I make a couple of observations here? Absolutely. You were suspiciously, oddly quiet at that at your end of the table. No, over there. I wanted to listen to what you guys had to say. Ah. So 1950s, Daniel put some good historical context on that. Post-1950s, the United States becomes the dominant democratic superpower in the world. You have the beginning of what will be called the liberal, global liberal consensus or something along those lines. And I think that sort of heavily influences it. When you think of cultural references to this point, when you think 1950s, uh, Pastor Ram, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when I say 1950s? Don't let me down. Don't, uh, Andreasen and... and the- no, 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 no. American culture. First thing that comes to your head. Civil rights movement. Okay, that's good. That's good because what's the first thing that comes to your mind, Daniel? 1950s, uh, I'm thinking... The U.S. is a superpower. Okay. You say 1950s, to me, the first thing that comes to my mind is Beaver Cleaver. Mm. All right, so there's this idealized 
American suburban life, you know, yes. Andy, Andy oh, Griffith yeah, and all this course. kind of stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think that that cultural infusion into the church has something to do with this development of last generation theology as well, because you have, we've gone and we've conquered evil over the world. Mm-hmm. It's a very Eurocentric. It's very, uh, uh American centric. Mm-hmm. Um, and we fool ourselves into believing we're this great benevolent empire. We don't. We dare not even call ourselves an empire, right? Which at this stage in history today, it's obvious. But um, I think that cultural infusion is is sort of influencing this, right? And Daniel taught point. You said civil rights movement. Um, and I, I, did I understand you correctly? We were still fighting the Civil War. Is that what is that what you said? Well, so 1950s was we're still fighting the Korean War. Oh, the Korean War. Okay. Yeah, but uh, but in 1844, we're talking yeah. about going to the Kingdom of God. Um, you know, uh, 1888 and so oh, forth. Oh, I get But you. we're still entrenched in the Civil War. Well, the 1950s were still entrenched in the Civil War because yeah. civil rights has not been achieved. Not right? yet. And so there's all these different, uh, these threads that I think kind of come together to sort of explain, like, why would this take hold in the Seventh-day Adventist Church at this period in history? Um, I would have to do some more research and put together evidence to try and actually make that argument. But that's that's my initial impression. The other, th- uh, there's a couple other things if, I, if we have time. First thing I want to say, if you are tempted to believe this theology, hmm. let me give you the best argument I can for why you should reject it. It is fundamentally Roman Catholic. Mm-hmm. Roman Catholicism's teaching on the nature of salvation is that you work mm-hmm. to earn merit, yep. and Jesus gives you what you lack. Mm-hmm. Amen. He makes up the difference. He makes up the difference. And this last generation idea is fundamentally in the same thread of belief. There's really very little. You, you can you can find nuance. Right, right. But overall, yeah. um, and that, you know, we, we use these terms like, oh, the, you know, salvation of works and all these sorts of things. And then we quote James. And, but no, I want, you, I want to make reference to as Protestants. And I'm yeah. big on Protestantism. Yeah. Anybody who talks to me for five minutes about <laughs> theology knows this. I'm big on Protestantism. It is fun. Last generation theology at its core relies on assumptions that are fundamentally Roman Catholic and you are departing from historic Protestantism if you believe it. And you cannot substantiate it from Scripture. I am glad you made that unequivocally clear. I really am. I know people will, there, (laughs) there might be people that get mad at me and that's okay. I'm used to that. I don't expect everyone to agree with me. I'm just going to tell you what I think is the truth, and we can hash it out. Um, and you, you, people would be surprised to know that I, I discovered about half an hour ago that the pastor and I don't agree on it. <laughs> it's amazing. How do we sit in the same room and have a conversation? <laughs> and and uh, on that uh, sort of on that note, what you were sharing, um, there's no expiration on the gospel. That's what it, that's what I see here in last generation theology and expiration, you know, whether it be one day, one year, one month, before he comes, mm. it expires, and this is counter scriptural, as you were saying, Roger. Mm. You know, when you look at the parables of Christ, 
apparel, the wedding garment. Yes. All this alludes to the fact and points to the fact that we will be saved by grace in the first century, in the last minutes before and when Christ is coming, even when we're in the kingdom. Yes. We're not walking in there with our own robe of righteousness. It is a gift. It is borrowed. It is, well, given to us by Christ. Amen. And we Amen. put that on out of gratitude. Can I, let me just do an analogy, man. I, sorry, man, you make me think so much and I just want <laughs> oh, to share no, it. Oh, no, right. no, no, no. Oh, I'm sorry. Cool. I, like, we should, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> we, we should do this more often, the we three should. of us. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, five minutes. Okay, I'll go fast. <laughs> let, me, let me make an analogy, right? There's two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of the earth and then there's the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. There's an immigration process. Mm-hmm. What allows you into heaven is that you applied for an application for naturalization. Mm-hmm. Because and here's 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 some scriptural anecdotal evidence against na- uh, last generation theology. Who You're did, saying I can't climb the fences and try you, to cut you the walls? You cannot. Oh, don't oh, don't go there, Daniel. I want to. It's not about politics. <laughs> <laughs> I started. It. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. I'm sorry. I we have a nice uh, brand new no, ladder here at church. Oh, we we got a nice. Solo. Well, okay. I'm going <laughs> to okay. say so, I'm going to say one more thing on that topic. And but before sorry. I say that, who go did ahead, who did. Um, who did Jesus choose to plant the church? To plant the church. Started with, I mean, a few, few fishermen. One, Peter. Peter. Okay, yeah. do you think Peter was like, before he met Jesus, was like, oh man, I gotta eliminate these sins. I'm gonna become perfect. <laughs> no, he was no. a sailor and a fisherman, dude. Like, yeah. um, Who spoke but, Elizabethan English. I'm not going to quote some of the Elizabethan English. Right now. It's not, not not suitable for a family show. Oh, but uh, on the on the immigration on the immigration reference, uh, going back to the last um, lesson, we were talking about like secular Europe and secular North America. Let me tell you why I like the idea of immigration as a citizen. Because we need all the people from South America and Africa to come back and evangelize us. Yeah. Because they, that is where the church is growing the fastest. Mm-hmm. And, the, and that's where the church is most faithful in terms of doctrine yeah. and uh, commitment to mission. Yeah. And we need to import some church members into mm. North America and Europe. Right, we are a mission. It, like let, let's let's put it in those pers- that perspective. Mm. We are the mission field. Go ahead. So as we wrap up, um, I thought about this, and I've heard this before. You probably have to. At the end of the day, we have to choose where we're going to live. Mm. Either we live at the base of Mount Sinai or the base of Mount Calvary, and that's the question: is we can live at Sinai. Just like they said, the Israelites said, everything you said, we're going to do. Yeah. We're going to do. We got it. We got this. We got this. That didn't work out. I mean, these are folks who saw God liberate them from Egypt. They saw the parting of the sea, the quail, the manna. They saw all this. I mean, they had a visual manifestation, Mm -hmm. the pillar of fire, all this, the cloud. We're going to do it. Yeah. And we know the story, you read Exodus, and it doesn't take long, and they're following this, that, and the other thing. Fast forward, Mount Calvary. Mm. There is a thief. Remember me when you come in the kingdom, and he says, you're going to be with me. Yeah, I will. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh, the, the Sinai reference, 
hey man, there are people that wanted to turn around and go back to Egypt. Oh yeah, they didn't even want to stay at Sinai. Never mind Calvary. <laughs> they didn't even have that. Let's right? go back. Let's, Let's go, go back. back. Hey, at least we had three hots and a cot. Cot. There you go. <laughs> three hots and a cot, and yeah. that's an interesting. Oh yeah. <laughs> three hots. <and> a cot. <laughs> why did I miss that terminology? I don't work in a prison. That's why. Or mil- military. That's a military right? one. Or military. <laughs> so, well, listen. We hope you are. We are we going to wrap up? I think we need to. Okay. Here. Let me say one thing. This has absolutely nothing to do with the lesson. I have to make an apology and a correction. I know everyone out there is going to be amazed here. This is Roger speaking. I sometimes get things wrong. And I made a mistake in one of the prior lessons. I said that I made an, a, a casual in passing remark that uh, Jesus was related to Lazarus, Mary, and Martha as a cousin. Mm. And I have no reason to say that. I did say it. And uh, one of our listeners uh as it happens megan's grandmother megan if you don't know is the greatest producer in the history of podcasts you can't edit that out because i'm talking about your grandma uh but i just want to say grandma megan's grandma thank you for correcting me there is no basis in the spirit of prophecy or in scripture for that I went back, I taught uh, half a semester of Bible last year, and I did a unit on Jesus's relationship to Lazarus. And I thought maybe that's where I got the idea. And it's just that they were intimate friends. Lazarus was probably, for all intents and purposes, Jesus's best friend. And Ellen White actually mentions in Desire of Ages how when he was with them, he didn't have to teach in parables. That's how close they were. Mm. Um, So thank you, Megan's grandma. Lazarus was not Jesus's cousin. There we go, setting the record straight. Setting the record straight. Now we're, we're, we're going back in time, but that's cool. That's cool. So listen, my friends, hope you've been, you've been blessed by our, our lesson study this uh, today, and we hope you will join us again at our next podcast. We're continuing uh, through the Sabbath School lesson, and I forgot to, what's the reference there for the website if you want to read the lessons? Oh, yeah, it's... Uh absg.adventist.org alpha bravo sahara golf.adventist.org link link should be in the description below and i'm seeing lesson number five which will be coming up next week good news of the judgment and that looks like a very interesting interesting lesson that i think will probably resonate very well with us here so daniel would you pray for us as we close absolutely let's bow our heads heavenly father Thank you for the ministry of uh, Roger and uh, Pastor Ron. Uh, They have uh, put this together uh, to share your word. I know that uh, people are being blessed by it, and I ask that you will continue to bless these uh, podcasts and the various ministries of this this church as we seek to get people into you and into understanding you and into your word. May all that we have shared here at this point bless your community your people and i pray father that as we separate to come back together again you will continue to fill our hearts and our minds with your love so that we can share it with others thank you for all you do for us in the name of jesus we pray amen amen daniel thank you roger thank you and listeners thank you for allowing us to spend these 45 minutes with you I hope you've been a blessing. I hope we've been a blessing to you. And go forth in the grace of God. Amen.
see you next time. If you are looking for a community, have some questions about the discussion, or would like to participate in a live Sabbath School class, please join us every Saturday at 10 a.m. for Sabbath School and 11.15 for our worship service at 337 Main Street, South Lancaster, Massachusetts. This has been a production by the College Church's Communication slash Media Ministry. If you were blessed by this podcast, please like, follow, and subscribe. Join us next week for another lesson, and let us all remember to love more, grow more, and serve more.